At the end of this service today, we will be uh, having our purity ring commitment ceremony, and uh, I'm really excited to have them uh, come, the students once a year, come and make a commitment for purity. Basically what that means is that they will be abstinent from sexual uh, uh, relationships and they will not uh, uh, engage in any kind of sexual impurity. Uh, and then once they are married, they will remain pure, but they will remain pure to their spouse. This is a, a huge, huge commitment. Uh, they have no idea what they're getting into. They have no idea the amount of commitment it takes. And yet, we applaud them. And so we'll be doing that at the end of today uh, during the altar. But I do have um, a, a message I feel that God has put on my heart just for today. Um, in fact, it's just for this service. Uh, I preached a a, a different passage this morning at 8.30, and I feel like the Lord moved on my heart to speak just this message for just this time and in just this moment. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Judges 16. Judges 16. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It is a manly story. It's a story of a superhero, and it's a lot of fun to read when you're a little kid, and then it's one of those stories when you get older and you realize what the story's actually about and the contents of You know how they have like flannel graph and you read it as a little kid and you're like, yeah, he's strong, and then you read about his character and who he was and how he died, you're like, this is a terrible story. It's kind of like the Grimm's fairy tale of stories. You know, we tell the story about Hansel and Gretel and they're like getting eaten, kids and all that stuff. This is one of those stories that you, as you get older, you go, wow, this story is very different than I remember it as a little kid. Turn to Judges 16, verse 15. 16, verse 15. And I'll read out of the ESV this morning. And she said to him, she being Delilah, how can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard and her word, with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the Lord of the Philistines, saying, come up again. For he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees. And he called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times, and shake myself 
free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and he ground at the mill in the prison. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let's close our eyes and pray. Heavenly Father, God, this is a message of purity and the temptation would be to allow it to be preached to someone else. The temptation would be allow this message to be for those people who need to hear it for the youth or for teenagers, for anyone else. God, this message is for me. This message is for all of us at any age and at all ages. God, if you can't speak through me, speak in spite of me. That we would walk away from this today saying, this is the truth I've heard from God. In Jesus' awesome name the strong Son of God. Amen. How many of you have a driver's license? Okay, you, you wanna see something crazy? Watch this. Okay, just this section. How many of you have a driver's license? Would you stand to your feet? Stand to your feet if you're in this section and you have a driver's license, okay? Okay, you watching? I know, your heart filled with shock. Wait one moment. How many of you in this section in the next five years, one, two, three, four, five years, 2019, for those of you that aren't counting, five years will get your driver's license. Please stand up. Thank you, you can sit down. Some of them are having palpitations in their heart. We don't want to uh, have to use any of the equipment. I felt this wave of fear wash over this entire section. And I think I know why. Because I remember what I was like as a driver. Awesome. I was the best. Cars are shockingly heavy. Did you know this? How many of you have learned in unfortunate experience that cars are not only shockingly heavy, but they're shockingly easy to hit things with their heaviness. My freshman, my senior year in high school, my senior year in high school, I had the car I thought was the coolest. I now recognize that it was a grandma car and it wasn't the coolest, but I was 16, so back off, all right? It was an 87 Honda Accord. It was made when I was four years old, right? Uh, five years old. 87 Honda Accord. And I thought that thing was the best. I've been converted. I'm American cars now. Just chill out. But uh, I thought it was the best. And one day I pulled out of my senior high parking space. And I pulled out of this parking space and I wanted to get out of there before the rush. There's a rush, right? And uh, how many of you know t teenagers are very nice, but they not... So good at the drive. So if you, if you get stuck in the high school parking lot, it would take a half hour to get out because nobody knew what, you know, oh, this makes the wheel go, you know. And so I wanted to rush out. So I did so by cutting a little too tight with my 87 Honda Accord, and I ran into a 92 Eagle Talon. 92, 93, I don't remember. Eagle Talon, you remember Eagle, Eagles? I don't, just one. I only remember one, and it was teal. Because after it was partially teal and a long gold stripe down the side. 
Guess what color my car was? I learned not only that cars are immeasurably fun to drive that year, I learned that they're really expensive when you run them into things. There has this weird aspect to a car. It's strange. You'll be driving down the road. Have you ever experienced this? You're driving down the road and you have this sudden realization. I don't know anybody else on this road with me. And we're all traveling feet apart at 60 or 70 miles an hour in vehicles made with parts assembled and produced by the lowest bidder. Now, I don't know if your faith in humanity is a little higher than mine, but I look at these folks and I think, I wonder if any of them has any idea what we're all doing here. And at any moment, think about it, at any moment, one of them could get distracted, grab the wheel, smash into you, and that would be it. We put our most precious possessions in these vehicles and we hurtle down the road. And you, you wonder, does the feeling ever get easier or does it get harder as you get used to driving? Does it get easier? Does it get scarier or less scarier as you drive more? What do you think? It gets less scarier. You, th you say more scarier as you drive? It happened very opposite for me. As I was merging in Florida, again, nobody in Florida can drive. Nobody in Florida can drive, me among them. And uh, y'all can drive, but you're just mean, right? And so you merge and everybody's like, stop and go and herky-jerky. I was terrible at driving at first. And I became more confident. In fact, when you go uh, really quickly from a stop, do you feel it? Yes, you do. You feel the acceleration. How about going from 70 to 72 miles an hour? Do you feel the acceleration? Could you gradually go from, say, 50 to 70 with only the most gradual feeling? Could you do that without being pressed into the back of your seat? Not if your student is driving, but yes, yes, you could. And yet I see on highways, speed kills, slow down, Buckle up, we're ticketing, click it or ticket. If I get pulled over in Detroit, does that mean Officer Dave's going to give me a free ride? He's shaking his head, no, okay. <laughs> I would like to talk today about the gradual danger in the world in which you will grow up, you have grown up, and everyone is susceptible not just them crazy teenagers. There is a town in New York, and yet there really isn't. It's called Algo, New York. A-L, or A-G-L-O-E, A-G-L-O-E, Algo, New York. This town is out in the boonies. It's two dirt roads that intersect, and there's nothing there. And yet, on this map, you could find it. Algo, New York. What it was created, actually, the people who create maps are called cartographers. And these two cartographers created a map of New York. And it was a road atlas. And Algo, New York, is what's called a paper town. The paper town does not exist anywhere but on paper. 
Algo, New York, was actually a um, conglomeration of their two first names, Alan George. Clever, huh? Now, why would they put a fake town on their atlas? That actually adds misinformation. They added something onto their map they knew was wrong. Well, I'll tell you why, and I think you've already guessed. It was, in essence, a watermark, a hidden secret, a paper town that if nobody saw it, they wouldn't miss it. And if, if you knew where to look, you could always find it. And in fact, 30 years later, Rand McNally came out with one of their famous atlases, and these gentlemen looked in it, and guess what they saw right at the intersection of those two dirt roads? Algo, New York. Algo. They got their lawyers charged up. They got them ready to go. They said, go get them, boys. And they put a cease and desist. We're going to sue Rand McNally for all your worth. And Rand McNally goes, ah, ah, ah. There's a town there. They said, no, there isn't. We created that town. We created that town. We're going to sue you. And they said, no. We know you created the town. Oh, this is cool. You're going to like this. This is a surprise for later. We created that town. What had happened over the last 30 years is because that was on the map, it was a very well-known map, as people went through, someone, somewhere, put a sign that said, Algo, New York, population three. <laughs> then, in Algo, New York, someone, somewhere, put a house. And then someone, somewhere, also moved to Algo, New York, and there was two houses. And then one of the people in the house decided in this dirt road to add a four-way stop. And last but not least, Algo, New York, received its very own restaurant. Two houses, a four-way stop, and a restaurant, and a sign, Algo, New York, exists. I don't know anymore, but you'll have to, you'll have to go out there and check it out. A paper town. We live in a culture that is full of messaging. Have you noticed this? And maybe you haven't. But they, they say that we receive three to 5,000 messages every single day, depending on how much TV, how much phone, how much internet, how much you drive and see billboards, how much you listen to the radio, how many advertisements. Each advertisement is one message. How do I know this? I used to work in advertising. Do you know how advertising works? It's a very simple formula, and it is every single ad everywhere. It works this way. You're not happy, but if you buy this, you will be. That's it. That's the way it always works. You're not happy because you're thirsty. Right? Whatever. If you buy my soda, I'm sorry, Coke. No, oh, no, no, you guys are pop, pop. Soda, my Arizonans are soda. If you buy my pop, you'll be happy. You're not happy because you're driving that old car. And check it out, I've released a car that looks exactly like that old car, but I changed the spoiler. If you buy this one, you'll be happy, right? Satan does that. He's super good. 
Oh, we, we like to think of him as the roaring lion, right? And that's, that's, that's an excellent way to think of him. That's what God tells us to think of him. But I think that there's another side of it revealed in Delilah. I think that Satan can lean over and bat his pretty eyes and say, I thought you said you loved me. They're not pretty? Okay, fine. Didn't work on Julie either. I think he builds paper towns. I think he builds paper towns in people's lives. I think the first time Samson had his girlfriend, who he wasn't supposed to be with, the first time Samson had that girlfriend, and she asked, what's your secret? Blink, blink. He probably thought to himself, are you crazy? Are you, are you nuts? You think I, the superhero, am going to give you the secret? You think I'm going to tell you about my kryptonite? You think I? Now what would you have done in that situation? I would have shown her the door. No, I wouldn't have, right? Because it's easy to put ourselves in the position. We, oh man, you dummy, we know the end of the story. We saw it in a flannel graph when we were eight, right? I know the end of the story, you're going to get smushed. This is bad. It's the paper town. She created this concept. We're in love. And you love me. We're in love. And you owe it to me. We're in love. And if you really love me, we become desensitized to the compromise. There's a show out right now. I'm sure you've heard of it, even if you don't have a subscription to HBO. Everybody seems to be talking about it. It's called The Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. It's a fantasy show about um, medieval people and battles and dragons. There's, it's in its fourth season. Oh, I almost forgot. And if you cut out all the dirty parts of that four seasons and you edit all the, the nudity together, you would have a 45 minute pornography movie that you could make. And yet this is the number one most downloaded. Now I didn't say watched. Why is that important? Because watched would imply that you have an HBO subscription. And watched is something old people do. Watch TV. Young people don't watch TV. What, what, what do young people do? They go get it. They download it, right? So what does that mean? What can we infer from the fact that Game of Thrones is the number one most downloaded television show in the history of downloaded television shows? It's that children are watching, loving, getting excited about Game of Thrones. How do I know this? From a first-hand experience where I was in the fantasy department because I'm a nerd and I was reading up on a really interesting series that did not have gratuitous sex scenes and I heard a bunch of middle schoolers on the other side of the aisleway chatting about Game of Thrones and picking up the next book. You think kids don't read today? They read more than you've ever read in your life. Young adult literature is flying off the shelves. It's selling like crazy. The number one young adult book is about this couple who uh, they both have cancer and they have sex with each other. 
That's more or less the story. I won't ruin it. It's called The Fault in Our Stars, and it's beautiful, except for the chapter on fornication. Satan doesn't come around and go, hypodermic needles! Who wants some heroin from the 80s? Any of you guys? <laughs> Who would like to become a prostitute? I've got a, a, an empty street corner with your name on it. Come on out. No. It's never worked that way. Who would like cocaine? Who would like some heroin? Ah, uh, you know, who would like to die from an overdose? Anybody here want to die? We're selling deaths from overdoses in the back. No. No, it works like this. Oh, you poor dear. You've got glaucoma. You don't need to suffer. Sound familiar? It should. You're in Michigan. You poor sweet. You got back pain. Golly gee. Let's fix that. You know, Tylenol's just not good enough. Hey, it's natural. It's herbal. I have heard a Christian explain to me that God created it. You haven't picked up yet. I'm talking about marijuana. Weed. It's natural. Yeah, well, so are sharp sticks, but you don't see me sticking those in my body. Right? So, so are wolverines, but I don't sleep with one for a pillow. It's natural, so is arsenic, hot lava, and the vacuum of space, okay? Natural does not so like mean good. And yet, we use these things. It's the, the gradual. I was a youth pastor in Florida. And I had one of these just crazy moments. Do you ever have these crazy moments? It, it happens when you're younger. I was 21, just out of college. Uh, uh, you have these moments when you recognize that you know something someone older than you doesn't. Have you ever had that moment? It's a weird moment. You're like, you don't know this? 40-ish guy comes up to me. We had had trouble with his son, Sean. Sean was a rascal, just a rebellious little punk, loved him, uh, loved him, but he was always OSS, ISS, in school, out of school, suspensions, all that kind of stuff, uh, just a troubled kid, and I really had my heart for him, I took him out weekly and just prayed with him and hung out with him and that kind of stuff, finally I went to his dad and I said, what is the deal with this guy, what is the deal, and he said, you know, we're just struggling with Sean, and he's just really having a lot of trouble, and um, I said, okay, what's, what's the deal with always getting kicked out, and he goes, oh, it's weed, he's, he's, he's using a lot of weed, and a lot of pot and that kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. And I say this to parents all the time. And whether parents like it or, or, I'm sorry, I say it to students all the time. Whether or not students or parents like it, I don't really care. Because it's a truism that I have seen work over and over. And that is thus. Show me your five friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your five friends and I'll show you your future. Now, some students get real upset about that because their five friends stink. No, 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 I'm a light, I'm an salt. Don't quote scripture at me, dude. Show me your five friends and I'll show you your future. Ginny Mayo says it, Andy Stanley says it. Come on, they're cool guys. But seriously, what's going on with Sean? He's, ah, oh, the weed. I said, okay, who are his five friends? Who is he hanging out with? They're all good kids, they don't smoke weed. And I'm like, well, who does? And he goes, you'll like this. Well, I guess I do. 
I'm sorry. I, yeah, I'm trifle deaf in my left ear from an accident as a child. Could you, could you speak up? What? Yeah, I, I smoke weed, and, and he got into it, and he keeps getting into it, and I can't keep him out. Hello? Right? Yeah, I'm 21. He's 40-something, double my age. And all of a sudden, I'm like, holy cow. I know something that you don't know. You're insane. <laughs> I, I, the first time in my life, and I, I don't like to do the whole, like, well, oh, brother, let me tell you something. You know, I, that's not me. But, like, I looked at him, and I said, I'm going to have to just be honest with you for a moment here. He's going to smoke pot, and worse, because you won't stop and lead him. Didn't get a lot of amens on that one. If your kid is going crazy, why? First is the nonstop messaging. And Samson had that nonstop messaging. Who is the nonstop message in Samson's life? It says, in some translations, she nagged him. Gentlemen, there's only two reasons you're hearing nagging. You're wrong. Well, she's wrong. But nagging doesn't exist when things are right. Nagging doesn't exist when things are right. And this is a, a, a toxic relationship he's in. Jeremiah 2.13 says this, For my people have committed two, two evils. One, they have forsaken me, they've forgotten about me. And I am the fountain of living water. And two, they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Do you know what they did with broken cisterns in those days? They used them for potties. They used them for toilets. We live in an age of lewdness, an age of perversion. And we have to avoid that crassness. We have to throw out those that would take apart our families and our own souls. What is, what is this? When you read it, God is saying this. You can get water here, but you're drinking out of the toilet. We all get thirsty. There's never been a denial of where the thirst comes from. He said, but you're drinking out of the toilet. All water is not created equal, and I have living water, and if you drink of me, you'll never thirst again, Jesus says. And yet we have men and women in Christianity who are drinking out of the toilet. And, I, and then we use these sanitized clinical euphemisms for our, our toilet water, don't we? We call adulteries affair. Remember the movie, An Affair to Remember? As a kid, I, I always thought that was a weird title, and I watched it with my mom. It's not about an affair in the way that I thought it was. It's not about adultery at all. It's about a fling, having fun. But we call it an affair. Youth culture, they say, hooking up. That's what the Bible would call, and it's fornication. And we call people who are our partners, but they're really just perverts. They're in perversion, the Bible says. Complete this phrase. What happens in Vegas... Oh, you've been there too? I begged my parents to go. We went on a, a, a trip around the Grand Canyon. 
Did you know there's a top part of the Grand Canyon too in Utah? It's cool. And we went around the Grand Canyon and we went through. We were going to go to the Hoover Dam and complete like this big circle. It was the coolest drive ever. Through the Painted Desert where they shot um, Stagecoach. Oh, it was awesome. And I begged my parents, I want to stay in Las Vegas. In Echo. And finally my parents were like, all right, fine. One night we'll stop there. And we stayed at the MGM Grand. Oh, I was like, Brad Pitt, where are you? Are you stealing from any banks? Where are you? You know, I was, I, I just was, I wanted to see some glamour some glitz, some razzmatazz. When you come from Orlando, everywhere else is just kind of like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? You don't, unless you've been to Disney or something like that. I got to Cedar Point, and I looked around, and I'm like, man, there's trash everywhere. What's going on? You know, because Disney's like crazy. And so I was like, Vegas, this is going to be awesome. And we're driving into Vegas, and guess what Vegas looks like? A city. There's a dry cleaner. You know what I mean? You're like, what? And then you get to the strip, and oh, the strip, right? There's a show named the strip. I'm excited. It's like two miles long. And the way my dad drove up to the strip, oh, he did it all wrong. He took one of the side streets and he drove all the way along the back side of the strip. <laughs> Do you know what my first impression of this strip at Las Vegas was? Trash cans, service vehicles, people in go karts. And then we drive around the other side, and I'm just ruined. I'm like, ah, all right, whatever. And shocker among shocker, it's, you know, regular folks. And a lot of elderly folks spending their, you know, pension money on quarter slots. I think quarter slots is probably too much, like nickel slots, you know? I was so frustrated. But I did see New York. Did you know you can see New York there? I saw New York. I saw Egypt. It was amazing. You know what happens though? That New York is not your New York. And it's not my New York. I've been in New York City and I have very specific memories tied to that New York City. Have, have, who's been in New York City? Put your hand up. Do you have specific memories tied to it? Who you went with, how you got there, what you did when you got there? You have specific memories. And yet the New York in Vegas is the same for all of us. Why? Because it's not real. We all have the exact same impression of that New York. It's fake. It's an illusion. It's a city in a desert and it shouldn't even be there. The whole thing is manufactured. I now know what the Sphinx looks like with a nose. Because they have a Sphinx with his nose on. It's not broke. But I didn't see the Sphinx, did you? If you go to Egypt, which I don't recommend right now, but you know, you would see the Sphinx. But if you go to Vegas, you're not seeing the Sphinx. What is this? It's a paper town. It's, a, it's the ultimate paper town. What happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas, came out of a marketing, a year-long study where they realized for the last six or seven years they had tried to make, get this? It, I love this. I didn't know this until I was reading about it. They had tried to make Vegas family-friendly. Can you imagine? Come on, kids. We're going to the show. Close your eyes. 
earmuffs, earmuffs. That <laughs> Vegas, family friendly. That's a guy. Fire that guy. And then they finally said, you know what, let's just make it for the paper town that it is. And let's even do one better. Let's promote it as Pleasure Island. And they have. And I'm sure that that marketing is probably one of the best marketing campaigns the world has ever heard. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas is known by people who have never been to Vegas. Paper towns. Samson is living in a paper town. And Satan, with long eyelashes, has stolen his identity. Because here's what happens when you steal the call, right? Did God make Samson the world's awesomest superhero able to punch out the Hulk in one swing for no reason or for a reason? Okay, we would call that a call. When God says, I'm doing this for this person and I want you to live this way and you're going to do this, that is what? It's a call. I'm going to say a sentence that I think for every Christian in this room is so critical. The most important thing you can protect is God's calling on your life. I mean it, young people. I talked about this Wednesday, but I mean it. The most important thing you can keep on tap, the most important thing you can keep on lockdown that you you must protect is your call. Why? Because Samson's call contained his identity and his purpose. And when he lost his call, he did not know who he was or what he was here for. And that is the end of you. God had to put his call back onto Samson. Who knows what Samson's real mission was? Can you imagine this? God threw him a bone at the very end of his life. The very least he could do was kill all of those Philistine rulers. Imagine what could have happened in his life. Pornographers, drug addicts and drug sellers, wicked. But what could have happened in their lives if God had been listened to? If the call of their life had been listened to? Young people, purity is not about making your dad and mom happy. Purity is not about being a good boy or a good girl. Purity is about being beautiful and having a call of God on your life so powerful that we would all be worried and nervous to speak to you right now if we could see what God is going to do in your life. Billy Graham had a mom, right? Somewhere, somehow, Billy Graham had a dad and a mom. And he sat in a pew like this on a Sunday morning and nobody thought nothing of him. That call of God changed everything. Gave him an identity, gave him a purpose. The call of God was on Billy Graham's mom too, wasn't it? What would have happened to Billy Graham, or what wouldn't have happened to Billy Graham, if Billy Graham's mom had given her heart and her life away at 16 because some boy told her, you don't love me if you don't do this and that. 
Oh, the call of God is worth so much more than an evening of physical feel-good. In the backseat of some boy's car, young ladies, you listen to me. You are valuable. You are valuable beyond measure. I have spoken with pastor and every single one of the pastors on this. We would trade this whole building for one of your lives. In a hot second. If that was it, I would, I would sell my house for any single one of you. Because you are so valuable. Samson traded his identity and his calling and his purpose in a paper town for a nap and a girlfriend. We don't want you not looking at porn because it's icky, but because we know the thief doesn't come in with a lightsaber, he comes in with a website. feel very strongly about this this morning. Parents, I implore you, don't trade your child's calling because you want to watch a movie or a TV show. It's not worth it. You can go on the internet and figure out what happened to the last four characters in Game of Thrones if it's really that big of a deal. But you let that filth in your house... You might survive, but they might not. And you say, I don't have kids. I don't have kids. Does that matter? Are you a part of my community or not? Are you a part of this community or not? It says very clearly in 1 Corinthians 5.9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral. Basically, he's saying sinners act like sinners. It's not a big shock or the greedy, or the swindlers, or the idolaters, in the case that you would have to leave this world. But I'm writing to you to let you know not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister, but is sexually immoral, or greedy, or an adulterer, or slander, or a drunk, or a swindler. Don't even have lunch with them, he says. That's a hard word, right? I mean, come on. Aren't we supposed to be loving? You know, Jesus, he hung out with the sinners and... You know what? I helped start a young adult church in um, Orlando while I was in college. And I won't name it because you might know who it is. And, and uh, I asked how that was going. I wasn't, you know, a big part. I just did some marketing with them and, and uh, sat in on some leadership sessions. And I asked a couple of years ago, how's it going? How's, this, how's it going? And, oh, it's great, Ryan. We, we're just having such a great time. And it's so fun. And we get write-ups in the newspaper. And everybody's, oh, they love us in Relevant Magazine. This is just great. I'm like, oh, man, that's awesome. Praise God. You're just, you know, you're getting Jesus out there. That is awesome. Uh, is it growing? Oh, yeah, people are coming. Man, we got strippers coming. We got drug addicts coming. We got gang members coming. I'm like, oh, my gosh. That is, praise God. This is awesome. Are they getting saved? Well, you know, we're just loving them, man. No, you're not. No, you're not. You cannot forgive a lifestyle. Your style, whatever. Jesus didn't die on the cross for a lifestyle. I want that to be very clear this morning. 
Jesus died on the cross for sinners to kill sin in our lives. Jesus is the best murderer I know of. He didn't come to fix me or fix you, tinker. Ding, 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 ding. Ah, you're looking mostly good, Ryan. Now, he came to kill me. And after I was killed and deaded and on the floor, then he goes, great, here's me now. You may have me. Let's kill that because that's gross. In fact, let's do it every day. If there's something in your house that is causing you to be a poisonous member of this society, of this body, of this Christian group, get it out. Purify, sanctify your home. The world that we live in has easier access to pornography than it does sandwiches. And the reason is, is because you at least have to get up from your couch to get the sandwich out of the fridge. If this is an instrument of Satan's pretty eyes in your life, throw it out. Go get you one of them dumb phones with just buttons. Remember buttons on phones? They used to have phone, phones used to have buttons, by the way. Phones used to have cords, too, you know? Throw it out. Is it worth one of them? I'm not asking the parents. I'm asking like people who don't even know them. Is it worth one of them? Is your phone? I got to get Facebook. Is that really worth them? Is it worth the calling on their life? Would you sacrifice a future Billy Graham for your Facebook account? Cut it out, please. I, I beg of you. God doesn't work on lifestyles. He works on lives. And when we start to paper town things and call them things that they're not, we failed. Oh, it's a TV show. No, Breaking Bad celebrates methamphetamines and murder. It's so well written. That's like saying a strip joint is so well painted on the outside. Well, it's really good choreography, Ryan. You don't know what? I know that that hits close to home and there's folks in here who watch those TV shows. Stop watching those TV shows. I'm not speaking specifically about a TV show though, am I? I work with teenagers and I know that the heart is wicked and infinitely clever. That's why we don't walk around with a ruler on Wednesday night to measure skirt lengths. Because you can have a long skirt and be immodest. Hmm? It's a matter of the heart. I'll end with this. Girls, come on up here. If I can't convince you with the story of Samson, and I can't convince you with the lives of, of, uh, of the stories that I've given you in my illustrations, if I can't convince you that purity is more important to this culture, to our church, to our community of faith believers, if I can't convince you in any other way, I wish that you would watch this because this is written by my wife. 
And she is a victim of the culture that we have created. And this is performed by beautiful girls, beautiful young women. And yet each and every one I've talked to them relates to the pain and the suffering that our culture has given them. When I was a little girl, I used to ask my mother, what will I be? Will I be pretty? Will I be pretty? What comes next? Oh, right. Will I be rich? Which is almost pretty, depending upon where you shop. <sighs> salmon! Everything this spring will be salmon colored. Oh, salmon Nordstrom. Nordstrom? It's sex. Seafoam is the color. I'm a preferred customer. <gasps> Sale at Walmart! Oh. I mean, Target. And the pretty question infects from conception, passing blood and breath into cells. Oh. And the word hangs from our mother's hearts in a shrill, a fluorescent floodlight of worry. Ugh. Will I be wanted? Gorgeous at 40? Still worthy? Still with it? Pretty! But puberty left us in this funhouse mirror dryad. Teeth set at science fiction angles. Crooked nose and cold sores. Face donkey long. And pock marks where the hormones went finger painting my poor mother. <gasps> How could you let this happen? You'll have porcelain skin as <gasps> soon as we see a dermatologist. You sucked your thumb when you were little. That's why your teeth that. You were hit in the face with the frisbee when you were six. Otherwise, your nose would be just fine. Don't, Don't worry, we'll, we'll get, get it all fixed. She would say, twisting my face this way and that, as if it were a cabbage, might buy. But this is not about her. It's not her fault that she too was raised to believe that the best asset you could bestow upon your awkward little girl was a marketable appearance. So by 16, I was pickled by ointments, medications, peroxides, teeth corralled into steel, prongs, and now lying in a hospital bed. Face packed with gauze, cushioning the new nose the surgeon had carved. My body under anesthesia, like with every convulsing twist as if it was screaming from the inside out. What did you let them do to you? And all the while, this never-ending chorus going on and on like an IV needle dripping liquid beauty into my blood. Will I be pretty? pretty. Will I be pretty? pretty? Will I be pretty like my mother, unwrapping a gift to reveal a bouquet of beauty? In me, seeking sanctuary in my bathroom after supper to see the progress of my skeleton, all the while my Frankenstein stared back and screamed, Are you satisfied? For my hollowed bones I shudder back, Will I be pretty? pretty? Will I be pretty like the women in glossy ads who whisper instant remedies for pretty? In me, aimlessly perusing affection and attention in the arms of Michael, Josh, and Jeremy, and all the while from they would whisper back, Do I, I please you? And from my emptiness I would wail, Will I be pretty? Pretty! Pretty! With the corrupt words they constructed a false future of love. And now, I have not seen my own face in ten years. Never felt whole. I have not seen myself in years, and all the while from inside I wailed, God, God there, there must, must be more than, than this. this.
this is not about us. This is about the self-mutilating circus we have painted ourselves clowns in. About women who will prowl 30 stores and six malls to find the right cocktail dress, but having a clue where to find fulfillment or how to wear joy. Wandering through life shackled to a shopping bag beneath those two pretty syllables. You see, this is about truth and the value in our creation. For we are priceless, divinely knit from the DNA of God. And we have supernatural purpose that is more than some polished pedigree or posh photograph. For we are more precious than any retailer rubies. Because from the beginning of every atom that was perfectly placed and resounds that he is holy, holy, holy. And this, to my own someday daughter, when you approach me, already stay stunned with insecurity, begging, Mommy, will I be pretty? I will wipe that question from your mouth like cheap lipstick and answer no. Because to God, pretty is unworthy of everything you will be, and no child of his can be contained in six measly letters. So you will be. Pretty intelligent, pretty creative, pretty amazing. But you will never be merely pretty, for you have divine destiny. Emily likes. Abby Cedar, Cheyenne Belisle, John Hoss. As they come walk, they're going to stand right here, and I want their parents to join with them. What you see before you is four students, and there's many others who have already taken this pledge in the years past. These four students have gone through our teachings on purity because it's a complicated subject. I spent time talking with them and asking them about their relationship with Jesus. I know each one of them. I want you to know something. God has given us a generation that will say no to free sex. God has given us a generation that will say no to pornography in all of its forms, even if the movie wins an Oscar this year. God has given us a generation of young people who will stand against the rising tide of wickedness in a way that the generation of the 1960s could not do. And they stand before you this morning look up at me students and parents. You each have your ring with you today. I'm going to take you through the parents pledge. Parents Face your students. Take the ring in your hand. And parents, 
into their eyes so that they can see that how serious you really are. Please repeat after me. I believe that the Bible is true. And I accept God's plan as a parent. To you I make a commitment. I'm going to encourage you in your walk with Christ. I'm going to challenge you to continue growing with him. I will keep you accountable in this commitment to purity. And I will also set an example for you with my own life, my own relationships, and my own actions. Put the ring on their finger, please. My prayer is that this ring is a reminder of your commitment today. I love you. And I am proud of you. Now hold right there. I would like for everyone just to close their eyes all over this room. We're doing something we haven't done before and I'm going to put the Purity Ring student commitment into our altar call. Every eye closed. It's a precious moment. We're ending here, but I feel like God is going to move in your youth ministry, in your young adults, in a way that would shock you in just a moment. Young adults, I don't care if you made the Purity Ring commitment 10 years ago or you haven't made it yet. You don't have a ring or your parents not here to celebrate it with you. We'll, we'll do it again next year and we can do all the pomp and circumstance. But if you are ready to make a commitment today, why on earth would you wait a whole year to make a commitment next year? A commitment for purity will not just save your life, it could save your soul. If you are under the age of 25, 25 and under today, young adults, college students, high school working, junior high or middle school, and you're ready to make a commitment, this is serious business. Don't make it if it's just something your friends are doing. If, if you have no intention of making a promise to God, be aware that it's a dangerous thing to make a promise to God and then to break it. But if you're serious, that means you know how very, very important and critical your purity is. If you're going to say, Ryan, I will not end up like Samson. I will not one day go out thinking like, the Lord is with me and he's left me. I will always have the Lord with me because I will remain pure. If that's you today, I want you to stand to your feet and come down here right along the altar right now. Stand up right now, young adults, teenagers, middle schoolers. If God has put it on your heart to commit to purity, get down here. And parents, as you see your student, I want you to stand up and come right behind them. Right behind them, right beside them. You might not have a ring today. You might have already made a commitment for a ring. This is bigger than that. A commitment to purity will not just keep you clean. It'll give you a purpose 
a reason, a calling. I'm just going to take a minute. Elders, feel free. If you see someone without a parent, I want you to jump up and put your anointed hands on them and, and stand in their stead. Look up here, young people. God has a calling on your life so powerful that if you were to know what it is, even have a, a hint, you'd freak out. God has a calling on your life so big and so powerful and so earth-shaking that if I were to know what God's going to do in your life, I would freak out. God has a calling on you. And purity is how you hold that calling. i got to hold it. There are young people who are not down here and need to make a, a, a purity commitment. Stand up. This is bigger than lunch. Come on down. Hurry up. Okay. Students, look up here. you're going to repeat after this pledge to your parents. This is a pledge that they're going to hold you accountable to. And if, if you, you don't have a parent with you, that adult is going to hold you accountable. Now turn to them and repeat after me, please. I believe that the Bible is true. And I trust God for his plan on my life. I am called. And today I make a commitment to God, to myself, to my family, to my friends, and to my future spouse, and to my future children for a lifetime of purity, sexual abstinence from this day until the day I enter a biblical marriage relationship. Now look them in the eye and say, hold me to it. Now give each other a big hug. Parents, thank you, thank you.